What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what is a highly anticipated edition of the Hardwood Knox podcast this time, because Andy and I are lucky enough to be joined by Duncan Smith of Pistons Powered, and he is also the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, which you should absolutely check out when you get a chance. Um, this is going to be the first of our season preview package that we're rolling out. We are not going in any sort of order. We're just tackling the teams as they kind of come to us and, and interest us. And we're excited to get started with um, Duncan here. So to start things off, how, how are you doing today, Duncan? I'm doing great. And I'm especially excited to lead this Right now, there are great deals to escape to Europe in spring and summer on direct flights to Ireland with Aer Lingus. Stay put in cool contemporary capital Dublin or head off to any of 20 amazing European cities you've always wanted to visit. Classical chic Rome, Paris, the home of romance, or London, the cutting edge of culture. Deals are for a limited time only, so hurry and book today. Smart says escape to Europe this spring and summer. Smart flies Aer Lingus. Book now at aerlingus.com off because uh the pistons don't come first in much so uh <laughs> we can we can chalk this one in the uh in the leadoff column at least they yeah. should hang a banner for that <laughs> hey, hey 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 well you know Detroit lions might do something like that <laughs> okay andy and i've been talking on i don't even think it was a pistons related podcast and the pistons just came up about how fascinating they are and i think that's why uh the for me this was just a a good place to start because I, I feel like they're so there's just such a divergent line drawn through where you stand on their where people stand on their off season where they stand on their outlook that they have a good off season was it actually terrible so you know whenever it creates that type of divide that that really fascinates me yeah absolutely um yeah i i think that i think that like fans and people who are like more connected to the team have a, a higher view of the off season, which in itself is kind of remarkable because uh, Pistons fans in general are a, a highly pessimistic and occasionally self-loathing group. <laughs> um, you know, the only time the Pistons have ever moved up in the lottery, they got Darko. You know, it's Oof. it's uh, yeah. you know, it's it's not a, a fan base that really gets a lot of things handed to them. So I think that. Um, you know, they, they kind of expect the worst, which is, you know, a, a fair thing to expect, uh, especially like 
uh, over some of the, the dark and grim years that the Pistons have had the last uh, almost decade, really. Um, but yeah, you know, nationally, I think that most people really kind of hate the Pistons offseason, whereas like more on a local basis, um, you know, I, I think that there's uh, something of an appreciation or at least a willingness to to let it play out and see what happens before we bring it all down, which is kind of where I'm at myself. Well, I, I think we need to start, and I, I don't know if it's like a, a twofold or a threefold situation, but the Pistons use a bulk of the non-taxpayers mid-level exception on Langston Galloway on the first day of free agency. Uh, they turn Marcus Morris into Avery Bradley. They let Kentavious Caldwell Pope walk j- just just for nothing. Um, I what I I'm trying from my standpoint, and you know where I stand on this because we've had back and forths, and I I've written about how high I am on Kentavious Caldwell Pope. I was more than anything, even more so than I I disliked the move, and I I did dislike that series of moves. I was just shocked because I spent. It, it was a day. It was a half of a day around the Pistons when they were in Brooklyn toward the end of the season. And the way Stan Van Gundy was talking was that they knew what offers were coming, and it just seemed like they were going to keep KCP. And my, my assumption was, even when the market kind of became this restrictive place where players weren't getting the offers we thought that they were going to get, it was always just in my head that, well, the Pistons are just going to re-sign KCP or the Pistons are going to match whatever offer he might sign. So I was genuinely surprised to see them go um, in that direction, especially given the returns that that they got. Uh, Langston Galloway, to me, nice player. I liked watching him a lot when he was in New York. He tries really hard, but is he the guy that you hard cap yourself for on the first day of free agency? Yeah, I obviously I agree with uh, with your assessment that like right up until the Pistons didn't didn't uh, you know pay the pay the price to keep KCP. I was I was under the impression the entire time uh, that 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 was what was going to happen. Like I think by uh, the middle of November, I had begun writ- writing like uh, extensive pieces for Piston Powered on like the how and why the Pistons must and will uh, resign KCP. Um, you know, regardless of the price. Um, all the way up to it, including the Max and whatever else, the Brooklyn Nets, which was at the time, um, you know, the, the expectation that that was where the, the truckload of money was coming from. Um, so, yeah, I I was uh, convinced right up until it didn't happen that um, that he was sticking around. Uh, I did think, however, that a couple of moves that Brooklyn made in particular really, um, they, they really hampered um, KCP's expectation from from the Nets. Uh, the trade before the draft uh, between the Lakers and the Nets, where the Nets came away with uh, D'Angelo Russell, um, almost right away I had uh, I had a couple pieces up about how like that trade itself might have have cost KCP a lot of money. And honestly, um, you know I think that that was part of a, a spiral of events that kind of led us to where we're at right now. Um, but yeah, I agree on the Galloway thing. It's he does fit. You know, multiple roles that the Pistons need. Um, they are not a team that really can afford to like just throw some twenty-year-old minimum guy or some like thirty-five-year-old uh, minimum guy out there at third point guard because if Reggie Jackson can't go, um, your third point guard now becomes a backup point guard with your starter being Ish Smith. So, um, you know, that role 
ends up being important. So I, I think the Pistons may have, um, you know, as is sort of their habit these last few off seasons, uh, they, they definitely overpaid for Galloway. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, but making him the guy that you, you hard cap yourself for is also a bit puzzling. I have this feeling, um, this is not based on anything. And, uh, I think, uh, Rod Beard, who's a beat writer for the, the uh, Detroit news disagrees with this. Uh, but I have this feeling that the Pistons were not especially concerned with the hard cap because, uh, they had a, a spending limit handed down from, uh, from like ownership. Um, I don't have anything to uh, to base this on other than the fact that they clearly didn't really care that much about hardcapping <laughs> themselves if they went out and did that literally by, what, 1 o'clock, I think, on July 1st. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. Basically, like, either they were not fully aware of the, of, of the uh, mechanics of how that hardcap situation works, which I really I don't think, and I certainly would hope is not the case, um, or they were simply not concerned about hard capping themselves because I'm I'm pretty sure they could have gotten him for uh, what 1.4 1.5 million dollars less um, and gotten under that taxpayer's exception. So I I feel as though like they're acting on an edict um, from like a total spending perspective. Uh, but again, why Langston Galloway is that guy? I don't really know. Okay, here's my question. Um, let's say. You're sort of an ambassador for the front office. Uh, how do you sell me or sell fans on the Avery Bradley um, acquisition? I know it's not really a direct swap, but if you look at it from sort of an outsider's perspective, it does look like it's basically KCP for Avery Bradley. And and I was actually just looking at those two players head-to-head last night, and KCP is three inches taller. He's almost three years younger. Um, I, I think there's significantly more upside there. So if you are a Detroit Pistons team employee, or if you're just Duncan Smith, how do you sell um, Avery Bradley? How do you make this look like, uh, put put a positive spin on it, basically? Uh, well, I think that if they can retain uh, Avery Bradley, if they can get him to stay for you know the max, which is most likely the, the end result, or less, which would be favorable, but uh, I'd say highly unlikely, um, if they can get him to stick around, I'd say this is a, a deal that was a win. Um, I, you know, uh, part of part of my uh, pay KCP uh, movement throughout the season uh, was was largely predicated on um, you know getting him under contract so we could we could see what he can be down the road. You know, he's he's got the upside, he's got potential, um, all of this, but. You know, I think Avery Bradley is kind of like his best case scenario. Like, I think his ceiling is probably like um, an, Avery, an Avery Bradley or like a, a poor man's Avery Bradley, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, like this was largely his breakout season. And while he had like, uh, you know, he had a, a shoulder injury that um, took place in, uh, in the middle of January in a game against Golden State, um, he, he came back, like, I think seven games later, and uh, he said he was fine. The Pistons said he was fine. Stan said he was fine. Uh, but he, from that point on, uh, from basically the, the halfway point of the season on, uh, him and Reggie Jackson were in a competition for, like, worst Piston. And um, so it, it really throws off his numbers from last season. Uh, but, like, even at his, at his peak, uh, you know, he was, he was shooting 40% from three. He was shooting 40% from the floor. 
and his defensive numbers had fallen off considerably and perhaps not so much that um, that you would really be happy about that trade-off to to basically like a, a somewhat slightly above uh, league average true shooting percentage, I think, uh, at that point. Um, you know, by the end of the year, like all of his shooting numbers except for his three-point percentage had, had basically cratered. Um, his defensive numbers had, had cratered. Uh, some of the guys from Lakers film room had um, did uh, some pretty extensive synergy breakdowns and video breakdowns on, on KCP's uh, time, especially like post injury. Um, and he was like in the, in the 10th percentile in a lot of, in a lot of different things like post injury. So uh, he went from being uh, basically a guy who was like league average, maybe plus uh, defender to uh, among like the best, uh, among the, the worst regular defenders in the NBA um, post injury. So it really makes it like hard to really assess, uh, you know, what what his breakout season really was. Um, but from like a defensive standpoint, I think that he is his reputation is kind of buoyed by the fact uh, that he is uh, he was widely considered to be like the best perimeter defender on this Pistons roster. Um, you know, with good reason, I think he, he certainly was. Um, but I think that uh, maybe Pistons fans and uh, and some like general NBA observers. Um, I think they kind of overrate his defense, um, you know, kind of, kind of on the whole, like he, he hustles, no doubt. Uh, but like from a defensive standpoint, um, Bradley is without a doubt his ceiling, I think. Um, and, and Bradley does more with less, you know, like you mentioned, uh, KCP is about three inches taller. Um, I think Bradley is closer to two. I think he's like just a little over two years. I'll have to double check that, but I, I think he's a little bit, the, the age gap is a little bit closer than, um, than you were thinking. Okay. Uh, I think it's closer to like just over two years rather than just under three. So I mean, we're we're quibbling here, um, uh, but uh, that can make a difference, though. Yeah, yeah. Like KCP, I think is a little older than people think, and he's not so much uh, so much younger than Avery Bradley that uh, that two years is necessarily going to be like a huge gap. You know, I mean, Bradley's twenty six, uh, KCP is twenty four. Like they're both kind of entering, um, you know, their their prime in a way, you know, Bradley, I think has kind of entered it already. And is, is probably his ceiling is, is uh, probably not so much higher than KCP's might be right now. Uh, but, you know, KCP is never going to be a scorer on the level of Avery Bradley either. And, um, you know, I, I think basically if to, to wrap it all back around to my original point, um, you know, Marcus Morris and KCP, I think is, is an acceptable price to pay. And uh, if, if it's a big if, if they can get him to stay next year, and I think that that's going to require winning, and I think that that's going to require, uh, you know, probably not a first round exit either. Uh, Bradley's a guy who's accustomed to getting the playoffs, and he was a Eastern Conference finalist last year, and I don't think that we can underestimate the uh, the impact that his playoff experience can have as far as his expectations go this season. I think. Well, one thing I think is kind of working in Detroit's favor on that end is. We saw the cap squeeze a lot of teams this summer, and I think it could be even tighter next year. So I I would wonder where else Avery Bradley would even get that max if he's not going to get it from Detroit. That's a really good point. Like, it's not just, you know, restricted free agents who are who are raked through the coals this year and are probably going to be raked even harder next year. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be like these big money, non-LeBron James guys who are... Um, we're maybe going to have to stick around with their incumbents uh, a little more like a little more uh, necessarily than, uh, you know, this season and uh, certainly last season. 
Uh, I, I think that incumbent teams are going to have a, a huge advantage because there just isn't going to be that much max space in those teams that have been working to get max space. Uh, you know, they might be looking at LeBron James more than Avery Bradley. Yeah, it's going to be a really, it was, it was hitting the lottery to be a free agent in 2016 and, and every year since it's not even close. What were you going to say, Dan? Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, that's fine. I, the thing I just can't wrap my head around is, is this isn't necessarily a, a, like a KCP for Avery Bradley swap because you, you lost Marcus Morris too, um, who is a, a pretty versatile defender. And then he was on a, a great contract. And if you were really high on Avery Bradley, and I guess this kind of comes back to the Galloway contract, is uh, there would have been a path to re-signing KCP and then still trading for Avery Bradley for what they ultimately ended up um, giving up, even if it entailed a jettisoning salary to a third team to make that money work once you are coming up on that tax line. So I I get where Avery Bradley could probably and should be considered an immediate upgrade uh, in a lot of areas. I don't necessarily know that he's ever had to – or at least not recently, he hasn't had to shoulder the offensive responsibilities that KCP did last year where he almost became, for a good part of the season, it it seemed like their second most featured pick-and-roll guy. Um, And and that wasn't really the case, I guess, by the end of the year after his injury uh, when you did have Reggie Jackson back for a bit. But uh, Avery Bradley didn't seem like he had to do as much as that. He was scoring off of a lot of cuts and a lot of spot ups and he was on a team with the Celtics that created a ton of spacing I don't necessarily know that Detroit is going to be able to replicate that spacing and I I get the interest in him just on on the fundamental level I just it's it's uncomfortable to me to kind of give up for nothing let alone on this 24 year old um in KCP who who fits the mold of what you want to do Uh, in the NBA right now as kind of a multi-position wing. And to do it for Galloway, who's in in essence an undersized two-guard, because, you know, we're talking about using him as their third-string point guard, I guess. And, yes, he can run some point, but he's better suited um, at the two. And even if he is your third-string point guard, you don't give your third-string point guard uh, most of the mid-level exception. It just doesn't happen especially with the way the free agent market ended up unfolding uh, this summer. and uh, So that's probably the toughest thing I I have to get around, is is that there was so much more involved here than just, well, Avery Bradley's the better fit um, than Caldwell Pope to me. And maybe it does all work out. Maybe Bradley's fantastic for the Pistons, and I I do think it helps, um, as Andy pointed out, that the market for free agents isn't expected to be too aggressive next year, but what, what if you were the team that ended up with the one-year flyer um, on KCP? And yes, you could lose him next summer, or maybe he ends up being cheaper in the long run because he decided to wait until 2018 to try and get his money. I just hard capping yourself that soon, and then also uh, getting Avery Bradley on an expiring deal where you're giving up Marcus Morris while you're also paying Langston Galloway. It all it all just sits uh, not not well with me and and it's made even worse by the fact that I don't know that the Pistons at least when we look at the rumor mill I don't know that they understand what they want to do just because we see Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond in trade rumors Um, not necessarily of late although there was that rumor 
from Michael Scoto of Basketball Insiders with Reggie Jackson at the beginning of the summer involved with the Pelicans. But to, to have those guys involved in hypothetical deals and trade rumors leading into the deadline, you, you know, they're supposed to be your two cornerstones. They're your two highest paid players now, or Reggie Jackson, I think, makes the same as Tobias Harris, at least for next season. So looking at all of this, like kind of stepping back, it, it's just so hard to wrap my head around and, and to feel good about because a lot of this seems like we can throw a lack of foresight out the window or we can throw the whole bad decision-making slant out the window. I'm just not entirely sure the Pistons understand what they're trying to be right now. Um, I think that really kind of what their, their, uh, the attempt is, is to see like what this core can actually do. Um, you know, I mean, KCP is no longer part of the core. Avery Bradley will be part of the core. Uh, Stanley Johnson will hopefully be more part of the core this season. I think that, um, I think that the goal really is to sort of kick the can down the road like one more year. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson coming out and basically going from the Pistons' best player in 2015-16 uh, to essentially probably like a a top five bottom, pardon me, a, a bottom five uh, rotational player as far as uh, like uh, damaging impact on the floor last year uh, on both ends. Um, you know, I, I think that that impact can't be underestimated um you know if, if you take the best player on an, almost any team and then you you know you go into 2k editor and you take away like all the stuff that he's he's uh he's good at um and you then transform him into like a, a damaging impact player on the floor um you know it's it's really going to to um have a detrimental effect to basically everything you're trying to do as a team, and I think that that's a, a big reason that the Pistons fell off last year. Um, you know, Jackson had had no burst, no explosiveness. Um, he he couldn't do anything defensively, uh, and um, you know, there's a lot of optimism and uh, a hope that like his his rehabilitation this summer uh, is going to have him in a better place going forward. But I mean, knee, knee tendonitis is chronic, so it's it's never going to be a matter of like now it's gone, now he's better. Um, it's always going to be sort of a management and strengthening uh, situation. So uh, we really aren't going to know until he gets onto the floor in, uh, you know, basically in, in training camp uh, where he might not even be doing like two a days during camp. And that's also kind of concerning because he doesn't have the best conditioning um, at his, at his best. Um, you know, this is, I think that, that Stan wants to get one more year and, and figure out what this core really can do um, before, taking steps to, to blow the thing sky high. Uh, and I, I do think that, you know, if, if Reggie can't get things going, um, this team is probably a bit more uh, able to, to deal with, with the malfunctioning starting point guard this year than they were last year. Um, you know, we, you mentioned uh, Langston Galloway being the third point guard. I think that the majority of his minutes will come as uh, as backup too, um, behind, behind Bradley. Uh, but, you know, if, if Reggie Jackson can't go or if he's, uh, if he's severely diminished uh, like he was last season, um, and that's going to throw those plans in disarray. And now instead of, you know, instead of uh, Galloway being the backup two, we're going to have Luke Kennard elevated probably ahead of schedule. Um, and it really kind of th- throws everything in, into disarray. Um, so I think, I think a big reason behind um, their, their willingness to move on from having to give KCP his payday 
presumably. I mean, if he if he stuck around and was a restricted free agent, maybe he's in a situation that um, that Nerlens Noel is in. Probably not so much because I think that uh, the KCP is is still in high demand, even if uh, a restricted free agent. Um, but you know, rather than give him his his big payday now, coming off a thirty seven win season, um, you know, maybe you want to put yourself in a situation where you get to take one more look at this team. You get to see if Andre Drummond, you know, if if uh, if the nasal surgery um, that he had this summer, uh, Shamik Mohiel actually from Fist and Power wrote a, a really insightful piece on the uh, the kind of impact that uh, deviated septum can have on a player, uh, particularly on back-to-backs, uh, the second game of back-to-backs, which uh, Andre was uh, exceptionally bad at this season. Um, you know, if Reggie's knee can can come into play, and if it turns out that oxygen is an important thing to Andre Drummond, um, you know, it it might be a better time next year to be able to take a look and and see if this is a team where you want to uh, make that final move to go all in salary wise and uh, max Avery Bradley rather than act, uh, max KCP who shot thirty I think thirty nine point two percent from the field this year uh, and was one of the worst defenders in the league post-injury you know is is the shoulder better uh, I don't know if we know that um, you know he, he didn't improve as the season went on um, you know if if there is more structural in there that we we aren't aware of um, I think you know I mean um, that's that last part is, is kind of a stretch but it's I think it's something that um, that they are they're looking at where whereas like I think nationally there's like you said uh, a take that um, the Pistons aren't really sure what they want to do. I think here what we have is more of uh, just like kind of a holding pattern to, to see, um, get one more year of evaluation. And, and uh, yeah, I, I suspect that if they're like five games below 500 come the new year, they're just going to blow the whole thing up and make that um, make that it, basically. I, I don't think that there's going to be a long leash for this team, uh, especially, you know, uh, for, for Reggie and Andre. If they're not going to work, they're not going to work, and that'll be it. That was kind of my next question. Actually, was what it was. It was sort of the opposite of the way you ended that answer. Is what what level of success do the Pistons need to have for the front office to be like, okay, we're we're in on this group. We're gonna we're gonna commit to Jackson, Drummond, Stanley Johnson, Tobias Harris, um, and and kind of march forward with this group that we have. Um, you know, I think it's it's definitely playoffs or bust in this. Uh highly diminished Eastern conference. Um, you know, if, if they make the playoffs, I don't see like significant changes coming. Um, but you know, if, even if they limp into it, I think that, um, you know, there will be a, a good long look taken by, uh, by the front office at, um, at a number of the pieces on this team, but it's, it's so hard to really forecast what we're going to get, um, you know, like so much stems from, from Reggie Jackson and that pick and roll, which was actually not all that bad last year as far as uh, Jackson and Drummond go. Uh, but I've, if you if you take a look at like the uh, um, passes out of the pick and roll, uh, the Pistons were absolutely dreadful in like hitting um, hitting unguarded or, or guarded shots out of the pick and roll um, beyond just uh, Jackson or Drummond finishing. Um, so I, I think that so much so much is going to stem from that. And I think that spacing is probably a, a big reason for that too. Um, uh, you know, it, it was easy to, to sort of cheat a bit and uh, force, force Reggie to, Reggie to drive and his burst is 
problematic. Um, you know, Andre's efficiency was was actually not as bad, I think, in a lot of respects as people think. Um, you know, like, obviously, like we we all know about his his post up situation. Uh, um, he's to, is there any chance of, Dan Van Gundy will just give up on that and just try and turn him into a rim roller like a DeAndre Jordan, Rudy Gobert type? Or is he just fully committed to trying to turn him into a post player? It's been my dream for like at least a season and a half, probably, that um, he more models himself after uh, DeAndre Jordan. Um, you know, like, I, I don't think that the post-up is necessarily a lost cause if he, if he stops taking his post opportunities from nine feet out. Like if he's... If he gets inside that five foot mark, um, he's he's more or less unstoppable, and he's one of the best in there. Uh, but you know, he he only took like forty nine percent of his shots from uh, from inside three feet last year, I think. And wow, uh, yeah, like if you look at DeAndre Jordan, I I did a sort of a side by side comparison uh, because of some of the uh, somewhat ridiculous, I think, uh, trade rumors uh, surrounding the two of them. Um, I think DeAndre took like seventy something percentage. 70% of his, his shots from inside three feet. Uh, like, that's what you want Andre Drummond doing. You don't want him, like, finessing from 10 feet out. Like, um, I, I don't care what he's done this summer in uh, in the Drew League and at uh, the Africa game. He shouldn't be taking shots from outside of, like, five feet from the basket. Um, and, and they should be, like, of the aggressive rim-rattling variety and not these, uh, these like, fadeaway posts and, and like, long-distance hooks and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think that shot selection with him is is a, a big issue, and I don't know if that's uh, more simply a matter of the fact that he demands the ball where he demands the ball or if it's somewhat schematic on on the, the part of, like, Stan Van Gundy and the Pistons. I know he would love to run the four-out-one-in system, but I, I'm not convinced that Andre Drummond is necessarily the guy that the Pistons necessarily have that kind of personnel uh, to be able to pull that off, and I also am not entirely sure that that's really... Um, you know, without like a transcendent big man, I don't really know if that's necessarily the uh, the style you want to run in uh, 2017. There's, I know a lot of people talk about positioning for Drummond when they're they're feeding him in the post, and I totally get that because early on in Dwight Howard's career, he's able to kind of just catch the ball deep, and I don't think you can necessarily say. I mean, his footwork at one point was really really good, but I don't necessarily think you can say he was like this coordinated mogul but he was just so overpowering and overbearing once he got deep that he was able to finish at a high level and there's certainly an element of that to Drummond uh these would amount to feel like mid-range hook shots are just terrible and I also don't is he the passer that can kind of function as the fulcrum of this post-up offense and that seems to be like another element to me I think every year we're talking about oh he's making a little bit better decisions out of the the double team, or, or it seems like he's more aware when he has the ball in his hands. But I, I feel like we just haven't seen enough improvement necessarily on either front. And when you're talking about uh, giving a guy, let's say, one quarter of his shots um, in post-ups, not only do you want him to establish proper positioning, but you need to count on him uh, to make kind of the necessary pass. And I still don't think Andre Drummond, after all this time, is that guy, which is why, as both you and Andy pointed out, and I think you pointed out to me previously, uh, it, it would be really beneficial, if not necessary, to the Pistons' offense that he does kind of become that DeAndre Jordan um, 
type player, even in volume, even if it comes at slashing um, his post touches. I get that logistically maybe it could work, but how long do we have to say logistically maybe it could work to see that when it's not working? Okay, finally, we just need to completely move away from it. I'm not even talking about just diminishing the number, but it just looks like at this moment they, they really need, need to slash it and get away from it altogether. Yeah, I, you mentioned the passing, and um, two years ago he was a somewhat infrequent but uh, fairly effective uh, passer out of the post. He uh, he passed out of the post 46 times, and uh, the Pistons scored 56 points. You know, it's it's not much, but you know, at least it's like uh, it's a positive expectation when when he does actually pass out of the post. Um, this season was uh, was a bit of a different story. He passed out of the post 18 times. Uh, the Pistons scored nine points on those 18 passes, and he had a wow. turnover percentage, something like 45%. Um, it, it's crazy because like he, he demonstrates uh, some, some incredibly sharp court vision at times. Like Some of these passes, he will, like, not necessarily out of the post, obviously, because it's only happened 18 times in the past uh, you know, <laughs> uh, calendar year-wise. It's a long time. Um, but um, like he, he does, it, it seems like he sees things sometimes, but, uh, you know, it, it's another thing that's really frustrating when it comes to Drummond because like the ball dumps down into the post and everybody stops because they know it's not coming back out, uh, unless they're running back and, you know, on defense because he turned it over or, or something, you know, it's, uh, it's really frustrating because like, you know, those, the 27 and a half percent of post-ups, uh, they're, Twenty-seven and a half percent of his uh, his his touches are post-ups, uh, exact same percentage as in uh, fifteen sixteen. Um, you know, everybody knows it's going to happen. He's gonna he's gonna take that shot or he's gonna turn that over. Um, you know, almost exclusively. And and the Pistons, <coughs> pardon me, uh, the Pistons. You know, the the movement just really stagnates and it makes it really hard to do anything effective out of out of uh, out of the post. And you know he's not he's not good enough to be um, this like true focal point post scorer. Obviously, um, you know I think he's in the 19th percentile by the end of the season. Man, if he could just <laughs> if he was just one of those mid to high 60s field goal percentage pure rim running centers, I still think he could average like 15 and 15, and I think it would do wonders for the Pistons. You don't. That's the thing about today's game, and I, I'm not sure how many big men understand this. You don't have to be like an old school post up Patrick Ewing type to get your points. Um, and I mean, he's physically suited as well as anybody to to be that sort of new school center. So I hope he can figure that out. Um, I will say I wanna, to, to interrupt that it's kind of a bit of a red flag that his assist percentage out of the post was lower than Hassan Whiteside's, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, that's another reason. Say that's another reason for him to just be the hardcore rim roller. Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of wanted to switch gears. I well, I did have a question, a really quick question for Duncan for Drummond defensively, and I think we've talked about this too. Can you envision him even playing the DeAndre Jordan type role on defense necessarily? Uh, DJ. He's a he's a pretty good switcher for someone his size, and I just don't necessarily I, – I don't think he's the guy you necessarily want switching all the time, but he survives a lot better in space 
um, at least this season, than I had realized in years past. I don't know that I see that from from Drummond just yet, and I do think some of his, even as a, a more stationary paint protector, rim protector, whatever you want to call it, um, the results just seem like they haven't necessarily been there either over the past couple years. Um, I think when he's really engaged, I think he can be that kind of uh, switchy type, um, the kind of guy who can blow up a possession on the perimeter. Uh, but, you know, we, we see so little of that, um, you know, high-level engagement. Um, I I think that uh, I want to see, like, a full season of, of Drummond being able to breathe out of both nostrils, I think, before I really have, like, a, a full take on um, on what I think of his, his energy. Pardon me, i got to something really quick here sorry about that um it happens to me about every episode <laughs> yeah it's the first time i think of all the podcasts i've ever been in it's the first time i could feel my like my throat closing off um, we pride ourselves on that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like i i do think that this um this breathing thing is is a underrated element to uh to what drummond can bring you know whether whether it is in fact like just inherently he he just has a, a low motor doesn't have he's not like a high effort guy whether that's inherently the case or whether he just doesn't have the energy because like you know he's been breathing half the oxygen a normal human being should be breathing um, for like his entire basketball career um, I don't know like I I keep kind of like coming back to like let's let's take a look at this next year and see where everything is but I think this case with Andre Drummond in particular. Um, <coughs> Yeah. Again, maybe I'm I'm trying to be optimistic because like I do think there's a really good basketball player in there, um, and uh, I I I think that his engagement can increase if his energy can increase as a result of uh, you know maximized oxygen intake. So um, I'm I'm really optimistic that he can be kind of, he can be that kind of uh, you know aggressive switchy kind of defender um, along the same uh, mold as as uh, DJ. I think that's totally fair. Um, I would I would also be very intrigued to see what sort of a difference that surgery might make for him. Um, if things do go wrong for the Pistons and they do blow it up, they they find takers for Jackson and Drummond and maybe a couple other guys. I I do still think there are some interesting young pieces kind of waiting in the wings if they choose to rebuild. Um, I, I like Luke Kennard. I'm still pretty high on Stanley Johnson. I, I'm co- sort of, I don't know where I stand on Henry Ellenson, but <laughs> there are some interesting young pieces there. Which which guys sort of intrigue you, or, or are you as sort of high on this young core as I am? Um, I am cautiously high. Uh, I'm I'm very intrigued by Luke Kennard. Uh, I'll be honest that leading up into the draft, Donovan Mitchell, I was all in on the Donovan Mitchell train um, to the that point like where I was. Take right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I don't regret at all my my thought that Donovan Mitchell is going to be a really good NBA player. Um, you know, so I, I was pretty fixated on him to the point where I just really wasn't doing that much research on Luke. Um, so like, you know. The draft night came. The Pistons ended up taking Kennard. I was a bit, you know, taken aback because I was unprepared for <laughs> for it to be Luke Kennard. So, you know, I, I a lot of what I knew of him came from uh, from Stan's uh, presser after. 
um, you know, he he went into detail about uh, a lot of the stuff that Luke can bring to the floor uh, that really kind of breaks the mold of like this, you know, white shooting guard from Duke mold. Um, yeah. Where he he finds a nice spot in the corner and uh, he'll knock down the three when you get it get the ball to him, and that's really not Luke Kennard at all. And uh, I I find him uh, to be a, a pretty exciting prospect. Like we'll we'll see how much um, how much of it can translate to to the NBA level. Uh, but I mean, like from a shooting perspective, like that's there. Like he's he's a deadly shooter. Um, he's uh, you know, if he doesn't have the athleticism to be like a, a top tier athlete in the NBA, which he probably doesn't, um, he has uh, he has some craft and some creativity that I think uh, is um, you know not something you find in a lot of twenty year olds. Uh, I, I guess he'll probably be twenty one by the time the season starts. I'll have to double check that. But you know, he's he's young. He came out as a, as a sophomore, um, so maybe twenty. <laughs> uh, but you know, he he had a, I think it was a shot against the Miami Heat in um, in summer league that sent it to overtime. And uh, the the way he got this shot up, uh, he ended up, you know, shooting with his left hand from his right side of his body, uh, and it was like an 18 foot or jump shot, I believe, um, off the top of my head. Uh, you know, he can he can get off shots in creative ways um, that I think a lot of uh, you know more experienced players even um, aren't seeking to be able to do. Um, and apparently, you know, he hasn't been like competing against uh, high level, high NBA, high level NBA athletes. But apparently, his defense is better than expected, and it, it's uh, it's another thing that Stan talked about his presser uh, on on draft night is that um, you know just because a guy didn't really play defense in college doesn't mean a guy can't play defense. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just effort and engagement, and uh, sometimes a guy from Duke might really not care that much about. Um, about defending his his guy when he's playing, you know, North Carolina A and T or something like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think a lot of it, a lot of uh, concern about Luke is going to be uh, translatables uh, when it comes to actually playing NBA opponents. But um, that shooting is going to be is going to be a plus for a team that was one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA last year. And I think <laughs> going along with what you were saying too, I, I think the shooting is definitely there, and I agree with you that he's. He's also more than that. I, I think uh, with his size and some of that craftiness that you talked about, to me, he's he's closer to a new age guard um, than a traditional one who can play sort of both backcourt spots, who can initiate the offense. So I'm I'm pretty high on him, too. And, and sorry, I cut you off. I didn't know if you were going to go into Stanley Johnson there or not, but I, I wanted to jump in real quick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I definitely will, will end up going on to Stanley Johnson. Um I I'm pretty high on him. I you know he he definitely had a, a pretty dreadful regressive season last year. Um, you know he knows that we all know that. Uh, he and I have talked about uh, a couple times last season being like just a, a, an utter disappointment. Um, the way he put it, basically everybody but Tobias was bad last year, and you know I, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, but uh, he has been um, by all accounts uh, he's been. Uh, working hard and, and killing it this year, and I think a lot of a lot more of his time has been spent um, in the you know in the lab essentially in a, in a development uh, point of view um, rather than last year where he was uh, you know he was pretty much hitting up every game everywhere and uh, you know just being a mannequin among boys, which is it's great and everything, but obviously like that isn't uh, um, that isn't a guarantee of translation to uh, to an NBA game because like. 
basically by the first practice of training camp. Uh, he he hurt his foot and he, you know, basically derailed on day one, and uh, and things never never got back on track. Um, so I think this year is a lot more uh, there's a lot more fundamental skill building and um, you know building his his body as well. I from uh, from everything I've seen and heard, um, he's leaner this year. He's uh, he's more fit. Uh, he dropped 86 points in Toronto this weekend at uh, OVO, which I mean, you know, we can we can talk about the level of competition, but um, you know, 86 points in an open gym is is impressive for <laughs> for some. So, um, you know, I think there were like five NBA players in that game. So it's not like he was playing against, um, you know, like high school kids or anything like that. Um, I think it was some other NBA player said something on Twitter like 86 is 86, and I. <laughs> I agree with that. Like the Lamelo Ball game, the ninety-three points was a joke, kind of because of the way they were playing. But ninety-three points is ninety-three points, or whatever he scored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without a doubt, you know. And I think that was, uh, I think that was Jordan Clarkson. There were there were a bunch of guys that were like just like the eyes emoji was like trending yeah. <laughs> in, on NBA Twitter um, because like you know those guys take that seriously and those guys know who they're playing against. You know, like they know that it's not an NBA game, but like. You know, that's a lot of drives to the rim. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's a lot of energy expended, and um, you know, and still being able to, to finish through it. Um, you know, it, it's. I I think if anything, it's it's a testament to his ability to like get out there and keep going, which um, you know is is probably more a matter of the fact that he's in better shape this year than he was last year. I, I know that conditioning was uh, was a concern that Van Gundy had uh, when it come when it came to Stanley. Um, last year um, at various points um, so I, I think that um, I think he's had an off season of, of uh, sharpening himself and um, I think that that's that's what he would say as well this time next year whose season will you have been more pleased with Andre Drummond or Stanley Johnson um, that's a good question I would say probably Stanley Johnson because I think Andre Drummond has uh, extremely high uh, expectations and a lot of them are tied to free throws and I don't think the free throws are ever going to get fixed. I think he's always going to be like a, a sub 42% free throw shooter uh, and that's going to kind of like bring down the hole as far as his like overall perception goes. Whereas um, you know, if Stanley goes out and he's uh, an, an above average defender and he's not a complete black hole on offense, uh, I'd say that that's a good step forward for him playoffs or well i guess let's get to the wrap-up section where win project excuse me i can't speak today win projections and playoffs uh where where do you see the pistons sitting at season's end i, I think you know one of the biggest benefits of their offseason is probably just that the eastern conference still sucks and they might have just gotten better by default yeah honestly they're one of the few teams that did not just completely shoot themselves in the foot. You know, whatever whatever one says about um, like the whole KCP for nothing thing. Like from a talent perspective, at the top, um, they have. I would say they haven't really taken a step back, and they've they've improved the shooting problems uh, significantly. Uh, like just about everybody they brought on. Um, I think actually everybody they brought on, with the exception of Eric Moreland, um, is uh, would, would have been the best three point shooter on this team last year. Um, you know, they've, they've at least addressed some of the concerns and, um, just holding steady, I think would have, would have probably made them a playoff team. I think even if Reggie Jackson, 
um, can't go and he has to play like a, a diminished role off the bench or not at all. Um, I still think this is probably a playoff team, and it's not because um, you know this is now a juggernaut of any sort. Um, I, I think that basically this team in its current condition last year would have been a playoff team this year, and uh, last year's team wasn't very good. So, um, yeah, I, I think that we're probably dealing with like a six or seven, probably a, maybe a seven or eight seed. Um, I know that Philadelphia being good or bad is, is uh, going to be pretty telling with them. Um, you know how they fare in like the lower the lower seeds of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, but um, that's probably where I'm at. I'd, I'd say probably like 43, 44 wins. So you think the seven or the eight seed in the East is going to have 43 or 44 wins? That's pretty optimistic. Well, I fear my team's ability to get into the playoffs, and I fear the worst that it's going to take a lot to get there. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, you know, I, it's it's incongruous probably with reality, but. Um, yeah, I, I uh, Pistons fans are pessimistic, and I guess I'm I'm from that um, from that vein. <laughs> if I'm saying that 44 wins is going to get to the uh, the seventh seed in the East, <laughs> where where do you have them, Dan? It's so t- I think it's it's honestly so tough. I think if you you look at the playoff picture from last year, uh, the East lost three teams. And if we assume that Miami is going to take one of those spots and then we can assume that the Hornets will take another one, the Pistons have to be, even if you think they're the worst of that three. And they might not be. Um, You have to put them in the playoffs. I don't know if they'll finish above 500. And finishing above 500, you know, if if Duncan's right, if they get to 43-44, they're probably looking at the five seed. They'll be comfortably, I bet. Yeah, Yeah, in the East. Yeah. So I would probably put them around like I'm gonna say forty or forty one, and I think they'll get in into the playoffs. If they do get to forty three, forty four, uh, we're probably gonna talk about them as the five seed, though, which would be very interesting. I'm gonna go with uh, thirty nine and still in the playoff conversation. I think after wow. the top four or five in the East, um, I think there's gonna be a big bunch of like seven or eight teams after that top four or five that are just going to be uh, clawing and scraping with each other all season. And I actually think probably seven and eight in the East are going to be under 500. Um, Could the six seed be under 500? Let's be honest. Maybe. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> I think it's in play. Like it would be uh, unlikely and, and maybe a little bit surprising, but it's, it, that's not impossible to me as crazy as that sounds. Well, be the reverse effect uh, of last year, right? Because you look at all the teams that made the playoffs in the ninth seed, and up they were 500 or better but at the same time the sixth seed only won 42 games fifth seed only won yeah. 43 and in the west it's going to be like it, it could bass. be another one of those years where the eighth seed might have 50 so um <laughs> nine seed might have 55 at this rate i know that mathematically doesn't work out but it's a uh, it's a year where the pistons should absolutely have a chance to uh get into the postseason i would agree with both of you on that um but that, I think, about wraps us up, as, as we've discussed at pretty much this roster, top to bottom. Uh, Duncan, your insight. Tobias Harris. Yeah. No, good point. <laughs> I, will, I will echo something that Duncan said earlier, um, that Stanley Johnson said he was the only good player last season, and he really was um, pretty darn good. So maybe that's why we didn't talk about him, because we just kind of expect him to continue to go onward and upward. Um, Duncan, thanks so much for your insights today great answers the the entire time 
Um, again, you can read Duncan's work on Pistons Powered. You can listen to him on Locked on Pistons. And what's your Twitter handle, Duncan? Where else can we have people follow you or find you? Uh, they can find me at Duncan Smith NBA on Twitter. That's uh, where uh, most of my most of my uh, work on Twitter ends up going. So that would be the follow right there. Awesome. And Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew T. D. Bailey. Um, there's also NBA Math and Hardwood Knox. You can follow those as well. And uh, give us a rating or a review on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, all that stuff helps us. And as usual, we end the podcast with Dan's favorite uh, Hate staple. You. Hate you. A shout out to Bino Udry. <laughs> Former Piston Bino Udry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was he was uh, probably the league's best third point guard last year, which is a real high bar. Skydiving, this is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6s for just forty nine bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6s for only forty nine bucks. Metro by T Mobile. Phone offer requires port-in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port-in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger. For the ones who get it done.